we're getting reports that this whole Zoom thing's messed up this morning, um, but we're doing the best that we can. Some of you heard Judah and some of you couldn't, but uh, I heard her and she was awesome. Judy, you did great. So thank you for doing that this morning. Um, you guys good, Judah? Yeah, we're good. Other than our Zoom, apparently, but. <laughs> yeah. Went fishing yesterday, so it's been fun. That's awesome. Uh, I'm going to mute or let Jim mute you now. And I'm going to ask Matt Tully, see if we can get Matt to come on here. Jim, you're having to do all the work here this morning because I've given you total control this morning. So if you can unmute Matt and maybe turn his camera on, uh, we'll see how that goes. So Matt's user on my screen has no microphone to unmute. So I don't think I can unmute him. No problem. Matt, I don't know if you can hear us or not, but uh, we love you and we're not going to have you pray today. <laughs> so, uh, Lord, I just pray for today. We're going to go ahead and do this thing. And for those that uh, those that can wait, Matt came on. You see him? I'm going to ask him to start his video. This is just messed up this morning. Kind of, you can't get him, Jim? He, he has no microphone for me to click on, so I can't unmute him. It's like his, he doesn't have a mic. All right. <laughs> Your first, Jim. Yeah, Michelle says. You want my, me to pray for you? Yeah, I would like for my wife. I will to pray for you. Come over here so they can see All you. All right. Because Mary asked to see you this morning. Hey guys, we love you if you can hear us or see us. And this is if you can't hear me, but you can see me. And you know sign language. <laughs> Father, we thank you for this day. And I just pray that you calm my husband's nerves and uh, it's going to be okay. We're family. It doesn't have to be perfect. Just speak through him. Uh, we know you live in him and in all of us. And that's an awesome thought. That's more than a thought, it's reality. And I just thank you and love you for that. And I just uh, thank you for this day. We'll thank you for our friends and our family and our friends who are family. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Make sure this is on. Yeah, make sure because <laughs> everybody, I think my flat top's crooked now. So anyway, uh, I don't know which camera I'm looking at. It's so messed up this morning, I'm like, a little bit out of whack, but it's all good. We'll, we'll get through this. I, I want to pick up where we left off in Acts chapter 16. If you remember what happened is that Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, they were in Philippi and Lydia was meeting with them and they were praying with them and Lydia became a believer and they went to her house and all of her family became believers and they baptized, they baptized their family. And then basically they got ran out of Philippi and Paul and Silas left and we really don't know what happened to Timothy and Luke we believe that they probably stayed there with the church at Philippi and and nurtured this new young group of believers the the the, the cool thing about Philippi was that uh, a lot of the ladies were the leaders in that church 
Lydia is obviously the original believer in that area. And then when Paul writes his letter to the church at Philippi, Philippians, later on, I believe in verse 2, he mentions two ladies, Yodia and Sintesh. He mentions them. And so we know that the ladies were really strong in the church there. And in Macedonia, Macedonia, the, the ladies had a strong business uh, ownership. Uh, so the things that you, you hear about in the scripture about, um, you know, do ladies have a place in the church and da, 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 da. I'm not going to that whole political thing, but there, there's no doubt we see how important the women are to the ministry of the church. And even in the gospels, we talked about how they were the ones that financially supported Jesus's ministry. He even mentions that. So now that takes us to Luke, to Acts chapter 17, Luke being the author of this. And it says in verse one, after they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. So what had happened is Paul and Silas, they ended up going west on the Ignatian Way. The Ignatian Way was kind of like the highway system at the time. And after passing through those two towns, they were about 30 miles southwest of Philippi. They came to the port city of Thessalonica. And Thessalonica was about 90 miles southwest of Philippi. Let me show you on the map real quick if Jim can pull those up. Obviously, that right there is the whole first missionary trip and the second missionary trip. If you go to the next slide, Jim, we'll zoom in on that Macedonian area. And you can see at the very top of the line, there's Philippi. That's where they left in chapter 16. And they came through the two towns of Amphipolis and Apollonia. I don't know how to say those, but uh, close enough. But the Macedonia area is really Greece today. If you look at the next map, you can actually see that is Greece that we're talking about. about. We can see Philippi and Thessalonica. And each of those cities were about a day's journey apart when traveling by horseback. But if you're just walking, you're talking a hundred mile journey. It probably took more than three days. And they were stopping in those places that uh, Luke designated on their itinerary there. Verse two, it says, as usual, Paul went into the synagogue. If Paul went into the synagogue, that means that there's a good number of Jews that live in the city if there happens to be a synagogue. It says, and on three Sabbath days, that would be three weeks, three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. So think about it now. If he goes into a Jewish synagogue and all their life, they've been waiting for the Messiah. You realize the Jews were in Israel and with so many dispersions that happened, they got pushed all over the continent, even to this very day. And so now the Jews are looking for this Messiah that will come back and heal their people and bring them back together and gather them back together. And Paul's coming in and saying, yeah, he, he's already come and he's gone. 
the Messiah. He's come and gone. And they're like, what? How, how can this be? But here, here's the cool thing. And this is what I want you to see this morning. He used four key words in that passage of scripture, verses two through three. The first thing that he said is that he reasoned with them, which means he had a dialogue with them. He had a discussion with them. They had questions and he gave them answers and they had just a great conversation. Then the second thing he says, he explained it. He opened up the scriptures. Well, what scriptures did they have at this point? Because the gospels weren't written. The gospels didn't get written until after this time period. Well, what did he have? Well, he had the Old Testament scripture. That's right. He had the old covenant with him. And so he took those scriptures and he began to explain those scriptures. And I'll do that here to, for you in just a second. It says he it basically laid it down side by side and he compared what they read in the Old Testament versus what has actually already occurred in the last 20 years. And then it says the apostles set before them the Old Testament proof after one another. He took what the prophecy said, what the prophet said with what actually happened with Jesus. Then verse four, it says this. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. It doesn't say Luke and Timothy, just says Paul and Silas. So we believe Luke and Timothy, which you'll read about in the, actually next week in verse 15, that they stayed there in Philippi and nurtured that church. It says some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, including a large number of God-fearing Greeks. This would be Gentiles, not Jews as well as a number of leading women. Like I said, there were a lot of business women in the Macedonian area. So Timothy's not mentioned. This is what it says. The witness went on for three Sabbaths. They talked for three weeks. Then guess what? They had to minister outside of the synagogue. So the first three weeks they got to go. The Jews were all excited about having Paul there. But then he started telling them that Jesus was the Messiah and the Jews didn't believe that. So they had to like leave the synagogue. But here's the crazy thing is we don't know how long Paul and Silas stayed in Thessalonica. We can look at the letter that he wrote to the church at Philippi and he thanked them for two offerings that they gave to him. So while they stayed in Thessalonica ministering to the new believers, the, the young church with Lydia back in Philippi, they're raising funds and they send them to Paul and Silas in Thessalonica. They had to be there for some period of time. Then verse five, it says this. But the Jews became jealous. The Jews became jealous. It's like church today. Their numbers in the synagogue were becoming fewer and fewer. The Jews began listening and following Paul, and they quit following the Jewish leaders in the synagogue. We call that today pirating church members. <laughs> That's a weird thing, but it happens. And it's because people's beliefs alter, change, just like many of you. You left a church and you come and hung out with Lebanon says this, but the Jews became jealous and they brought together some wicked men from the marketplace. 
formed a mob and started a riot in the city. I would easily describe these men as market men that came from Philippi, where Paul and Silas got ran out in the first place. You realize the same thing happened to them on the first missionary journey. When they went to Iconium and Lystra and Derby. everywhere they went, they preached Jesus as the resurrected Messiah, and they got chased out city by city. Well, now the same thing's happening here in Thessalonica. The people from Philippi have come and they've started this mob. It says attacking Jason's house. Well, who in the world is Jason? Attacking Jason's house, they search for them to bring them out to the public assembly. Jason was the one that was hosting Paul and Silas. They were literally staying at his house. Verse 6, it says, when they didn't find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city officials, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. And Jason has welcomed them. Literally, they look for Paul and Silas. Isn't it awesome how throughout all this time, Paul and Silas were able to escape and no one ever knew where they went? It happened so many times during the story of Acts, and now it's happened. They're sitting there saying, these guys have gone all over the world, stirring up trouble. They've been to Iconium, Derby, and Lystra, but now they're telling the same story here. It says they're all acting contrary to Caesar's decrees, <clears throat> saying that there is another king, Jesus. Now, there was a law passed by Emperor Tiberius that issued this decree in 16 AD saying that you can't do this. He banned all predictions of a new king and a kingdom in the cities of the empire. And now Paul is calling Jesus a king. They said, you can't do that here. Verse 8, it says, the crowd and the city officials who heard these things were upset. After taking a security bond from Jason and others, they released them. The mob was agitated because they could not find Paul and Silas. So now they're settling for Jason and his brothers. Or that's probably the brothers in Christ. And Jason literally had to put up money as a bond to guarantee if they came back into town, he would lose that money. <coughs> Paul saw this prohibition as a, a device to Satan because we read that in 1 Thessalonians. He talks about how Satan does everything he can, just like he's doing today, distracting us. But guess what? Paul and Silas were getting publicity. It may have been bad pu publicity, but bad publicity is publicity, as we well know. And I believe this. When faith is challenged, the faithful will rise up even against the government. We're really watching it all over our country right now. As churches are being shut down because of the pandemic, the faithful are figuring out how do we come alongside and do what God's called us to do, whether we meet the ordinance of the government or even opposed to them. It happened back then and it's happening even today. The whole question, is the church essential or is it not? It's a big issue.
Then here we go. We go to verse 10. Verse 10. It says, as soon as it was night, the brothers and sisters sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. You've heard me mention Berea many times. It's about 50 miles from Thessalonica, and it laid on the eastern slopes of the Mount Bermion, which was the Olympian mountain range. It's kind of a remote region. Berea was probably the most significant city in the area, and it was the capital of Macedonia for several years. It evidently had a, a nice sized population because that's typically where Paul stayed was these big cities, synagogues, a lot of people be able to tell the story. They left hastily out of Thessal Thessalonica, and it took them probably about three days on foot to get to Berea. Now watch this. Upon arrival, where'd they go? First place, Paul went every time. He went to the synagogue of the Jews. The people here were more noble character than those in Thessalonica. That's kind of a strong thing to say in the scripture. Luke says they're more noble. What, is, what does more noble mean in character than Thessalonica? Because Paul was pretty ecstatic about the church in Thessalonica. He stayed there for a while and they studied the scripture. And he's passionate about him as you read in his letter to the Thessalonians. It says, since they received the word with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see these things were so. Paul went into the synagogue and he discovered a group of people that were absolutely interested in the study of the Old Testament scriptures. Imagine that. What if Paul came to Fishers today? And he went and saw all these small groups that were meeting and studying the Bible. I'm not just talking about Lebner. You can go to Panera Bread. You, you can go to uh, Sunrise Cafe. You can go to all these different places around here in the mornings and see the different Bible studies that are going on. So it says they met daily to search the scriptures, to determine whether or not what Paul was saying was true. Paul had been overjoyed about the Thessalonians, but now he's totally excited about the Brians. When it comes to the word of God, listen to me. When it comes to the word of God, it's always best to listen, to hear, and then to go check it out for yourself. I don't know how many times that you heard me say, don't believe a word I'm saying. Go to the scripture and see if what I'm saying is true, if it lines up. It took me a long time to learn this. Now I filter all the time. People ask me all the time, who do you listen to? Who do you read? Who do you watch? And I watch very few people. I read very few people. I like to take the scripture and read it and filter it with its, the own, its scripture itself. I have over 3,000 digital books in my library that I can resource for information about the Word of God. It's a lot of people's opinions. I look for the facts and all the things that make sense with other scripture so that all 66 books line up together. No matter what you watch on TV, who you listen to on radio or podcast. Make sure it makes sense with the scripture.
Now, watch this. This is the last thing I want to do for you this morning is this. What did Paul actually do? What did Paul actually do with the Bereans? He took the Old Testament scripture that they had right in front of them that they studied. And he read it to them. And then he told them about the Messiah, the resurrection. Watch this. In Genesis chapter 21, verse 12, it says this. But God said to Abraham, do not be concerned about the boy and your slave. Whatever Sarah says to you, listen to her because your offspring will be traced through Isaac. Your offspring will be traced through Isaac. So remember, he had two kids. He had Ishmael and he had Isaac. But the offspring, the one that matters is Isaac, the second one. Then Jeremiah, the prophet, said this, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I raise up a righteous branch of David, he will reign wisely as king and administer justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. This is what he will be named, Yahweh, our righteousness. So he talked about Abraham. He talked about Jeremiah, and then he talked about Isaiah with this church, these believers in Berea. It says this in Isaiah 11, 1, it says, Then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And then he says in Numbers 24, 17, stick with me here, stick with me. I see him. But not now. I perceive him, but not near. A star will come from Jacob, and a scepter will arise from Israel. And then he says in Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, line of Judah, Bethlehem, Epaphrath, you are a small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be, to be ruler over the Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity from eternity. Now watch. Here's what Paul did. He sat there and showed them the old scriptures, the Old Testament. And now he's comparing what happened. We have the book of Luke and the New Testament to compare. Paul had his stories that were downloaded to him. Look what it says in Luke chapter 3 verse 31. It says, son of Nathan, son of David, that's to compare with Jeremiah 23, son of Jesse, that's to compare to Isaiah 11, 1, 2, son of Obed, son of Boaz, son of Solomon, son of Nashon, he keeps going on, son of Perez, son of Judah, which is Micah 5, 2, son of Jacob, which was Numbers 24, son of Isaac, Genesis 21. This was Jesus's genealogy, and it all matched up with the Old Testament scripture. That's all Paul was doing with the church of Berea. He's like, look, this is Jesus's line. This is the Messiah. This is his line. And it compares with all these references from the old scripture. You go back to Micah 5, 2, and it says Bethlehem. What does Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 say? It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. Another prophecy proven true. 
You take Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. Paul says to him, out of Matthew 1, 18, he doesn't say it out of Matthew 19, but we have that. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Mary was a virgin, just like Isaiah prophesied. Isaiah 7, 14 says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. What does Matthew 1, 23 say? See? The virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel. Jesus was called Emmanuel. That's all Paul did. He took the Old Testament scripture, and he laid it down in front of them, and he said, look, Jesus is the Messiah. He matches up with all these things. These cannot all come to pass by chance. There was a professor in 1969, his name was Peter Stoner, and he took eight of those prophecies, just eight. We have over 100 in the Old Testament that match up with Jesus as the Messiah. But he took eight of them, born in Bethlehem, preceded by a messenger, riding on a donkey, betrayed by a friend, sold for 30 pieces of silver, money to use by a potter's field, Silent as we can name those prophecies left and right from the Old Testament scriptures. And he had his math students do a study of the science of probability. What's the probability of just eight of those prophecies coming true? They came up with one chance in 10 to the 17th power. That's one chance in 10 with 17 zeros after it. (laughs) And interestingly enough, years later, his grandson went back. He went back to the problem and decided it was actually 10 to the 18th power. Now think about this. This is the probability of that. Let's say you take the size of Texas, the state of Texas, and you cover it with silver dollars, and you've previously marked one of those silver dollars, and I take my friend Eli to Texas that's covered with silver dollars, and I say, Eli, pick out the one coin that I previously marked, and he picks up the exact coin. That's the probability of Jesus matching all these Old Testament prophecies. And all of a sudden, the people believed. It says in verse 12 of Acts 17, Consequently, many of them believed, including a number of the prominent Greek women as well as the men. What Paul had done is he proved based upon what they believed and held closely to that Jesus was the Messiah. They knew he was the Savior of the world. You guys, 
I get so excited about reading the word of God and knowing that it makes sense, taking all 66 books, making it work together. I know that there's spiritual warfare going on in this whole world right now with this pandemic. I know there's spiritual warfare going on right here in this very Zoom production. But the deal is, my Jesus is Savior. He's the Messiah. And that's all that matters is that we keep our eyes on him. Father, I pray today for our people as we uh, so long to be together that we have a desire to just hug one another, just to touch one another, to see each other face to face. That, uh, Lord, you would just heal our land, heal our people, and allow that to happen soon. Because we believe that you are the Messiah, that you are the Savior of this world. And the great thing is, Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, He said, God wanted to make known among the Gentiles, that's us, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles, the glorious wealth of the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That Messiah, that Savior lives in me and you. And Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for that special gift. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.